You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! I know Kung Fu. Show me. I want you to do me a favor. Yeah, sure. I want you to hit me as hard as you can. What? I want you to hit me as hard as you can. I find your lack of faith disturbing. Welcome to the John Weldon Show. Thank you so much for taking the time to join me here. And uh, I am so excited to be launching this podcast. It's been about four years since I've done hardly anything in uh, the public light, especially anything consistent. I have dropped a few nuggets here and there, but uh, this is really the beginning of... uh, beginning of of doing something new and fresh and stepping out in a whole new way. And so I wrote down some notes and I'm going to share my story with you in as much raw detail as I can. And uh, there's really four reasons of why I'm starting this way and why I'm going to dig into this in uh, the manner that I'm going to do. So first of all, Uh, first reason is to bring hope and insight to others. Whether you're struggling with your marriage or your ministry or leadership failures, your own or others, um, I I hope that there's some nuggets along this this journey that uh, can bring you hope and bring you insight. Uh, Number two, I hope to be able to bring uh, healing to those who are hurt along the way. Whether you were hurt by another leader or you were hurt by me, whether you read my books or worked on my staff or went to the school or were on my board, for whatever capacity um, we had connection, I hope that in sharing this this journey and, and what I've processed through it, that it may help bring some further healing or uh, clarity into all of of what has happened over the last four years. Uh, Number three, third reason is really to clear up rumors and lies. I've heard uh, lots of surprising things about myself that have been um, made up and embellished and and all of that along the way. So there'll be points here and there where I, I clear up some of those rumors and lies. And number four is to really share this this story in such a way that in a few years, uh, my children will be able to actually hear what the whole journey of what mom and dad went through. And so, yeah, this is this is able to leave that um, for them without uh, waiting another you know five years to tell them the story and getting so far from it that I forget details. And so I've I've done my best really to recount uh, every every major part of the journey, and I'm breaking it down um, as we move forward. It will be kind of year by year, but uh, we'll we'll actually back up uh, to 2013, which is where I'll start this story, and we'll go up to 2018, and then in the coming episodes it'll be. 2019, 2020, 2021, 2022, something like that. And we will get all recapped on a very crazy four-year journey that, uh, that we've been on, that I've been on here, um, my wife, my family, and all of us together. 
So um, a couple th specific thoughts. Um, I was released from the restoration process by Danny Silk, uh, the head of the board that was overseeing that process. And uh, after, after a very long time walking it out together, uh, a year ago, he, he released us in a public letter and said, we're, you know, basically free to go. And uh, I felt like I needed to, to wait, to be patient, to sit still and, and give time for uh, more time for my family to heal, more time for, um, you know, former, former friends to continue to process their pain and um, regrow any, anything that uh, needed, needed healing. I'll leave it at that. So, um, I've waited now a year and, uh, now it's, it feels like it's time. It's time to share. And, um, there will be points in the story where I share specific names and go into great detail. There will be other times where I do not use names and I have thought through, um, both sides of that and been very specific, um, in the choices that I've made in how I'm sharing my story. And then last of all, uh, when I share my story, I'm sharing the facts. These are just the facts. This is what happened. And I'm not assigning blame to anyone else. I'm just stating the facts. Um, it's difficult for some people to process hearing facts because if you have a victim mindset, you hear it through the filter of I'm being blamed or that person's being blamed when in reality stating a fact is just stating a fact. So let's begin. Episode one, I'm going to call it Confrontation. So back in 2013, I launched Welton Academy, Supernatural Bible School, and it quickly grew. I went from having one part-time assistant to a team of seven staff members in that first year. Over the coming years, the school grew rapidly, and I was spending a third of each year traveling, lecturing around the world, um, something like 35 countries, uh, doing archaeological tours, um, hundreds of students attending annual conferences. Um, my two young daughters were growing, and I was publishing book after book. On the surface, everything was thriving and blooming. Yet, under the surface, everything was beginning to fragment. I wasn't aware, at the time, of the deep, suppressed pain that I was carrying around, that old childhood wound, that ache that was driving me. I just knew I wasn't enough. Nothing was enough. Having lots of fame, a strong reputation, best-selling books, what seemed like a Midas touch. It didn't satisfy the pain in my soul, and it never does. I didn't know it at the time, but I was living completely controlled by the pain. I was living in reaction and hunger all the time. My pain and behaviors were not me, but the real me was so buried and imprisoned within me that I didn't even know who that was. I was just a bundle of raw nerves and always looking for something to soothe my pain. Behind the scenes of the ministry, I began to use the trust and affection of my staff to soothe that pain. 
I justified and rationalized to myself that I was a spiritual father and being affectionate wasn't bad. I just was not a typical legalistic American, I would say. I would tell myself I was more like a South American or a South African, and that's why I was much more touchy-feely, or so I rationalized. This went from long hugs goodbye to a few times of holding hands with staff members to watching TV on a bed in a hotel with a staff member and a couple other similar occurrences. Once the justifications started rolling in, they just kept piling one on top of the other. One of the justifications was that I wasn't doing anything like I had done in the past. See, if you rewind the tape back to when I was 25 years old, I had overwhelming success with my first book, The School of the Seers. And in the midst of that success, I had a physical affair with an intern. I subsequently spent a year off of ministry and went through a restoration process. From that season, I had written Eyes of Honor and thought I had learned what I needed to learn. One of the unintentional lessons I learned was to move the boundary line for what was acceptable. Or said another way, I wasn't going to have another physical affair, but I would still pull on emotional relationships to feed myself when I felt the need. If you don't understand this dynamic, uh, it's explained really well in a book called No More Mr. Nice Guy by Dr. Robert Glover, which uh, uh, near the back, he talks about how nice guys operate with boundaries and or without boundaries, technically speaking, but that when you get your hand slapped, you then rein in your bad behavior to continue to meet your needs, continue to you know, soothe yourself and and deal with your pain, but then you're going to do it in a more acceptable way that's not going to get you punished at the same level. And so I had changed my boundary line for what was acceptable, but um, obviously I hadn't changed the actual issues that were driving the behavior, and that that's much more important, or it's the core issue. So this culminated... Uh, all of these behaviors culminated in about half my staff sitting me down on a Zoom call at the end of the year 2017. They confronted me for my actions. They were very strong and very kind. They did a really great job in that confrontation. And I said whatever I needed to for the moment and made sure that they felt heard and we moved on from there. The problem though was that nothing was going to change. This was the beginning of what was about a year of confrontations. I buried that meeting and I moved on like it didn't happen. I didn't even tell my wife or anyone else. I just pushed it aside and acted like it never happened. By the spring, one of my core staff members had confronted me several more times and had pressed me on what changes was I going to make. She also involved Eric Gregson at that point and he and I he and I had several intense confrontational phone calls. I look back at those phone calls and I wish that I hadn't pushed him away. I wish I had pulled him closer. He was willing to be the kind of friend that I desperately needed. Someone that would push past my irresponsible deflecting and try to reach the authentic me. Eric and the staff then turned to my local leadership and some of my closest friends at the time. 
I couldn't hide the confrontation any longer. It was now spilling out to a wider and wider circle. At this point, Karen knew. Now the rest of the staff knew. So what did I do? (laughs) Well, same old, same old. I played the victim. I made everyone else into the bad guy, and I tried to gather up allies. Around August 2018, Danny Silk was invited to help guide this process. Around this time, to a psychologist and did an official evaluation. That's where I was diagnosed as being a narcissist. I began meeting with her regularly to begin working on this, but as most narcissists, I wasn't making any progress. At this point in the story, four other staff members were absolutely sick of my lies and irresponsibility, and they had each resigned and stepped away from me. In September 2018, the straw finally broke the camel's back. I'd been asked not to email any of my staff for about a week, and yet I snuck around and sent an email from a fake account to one of my staff members in particular. I wrote out of concern for trying to save my own skin, telling her not to talk about some of my inappropriate behavior with her, but I also wrote because I knew that if she shared honestly, it would have crashed her own ministry, so I hoped that she would be able to avoid going down in the flames with me. Those email screenshots came to the surface and absolutely derailed the team's hope for me. It was like the ship was already sinking and I actively blew extra giant holes in the side. And on top of that, the team misunderstood those emails and took them as if I was threatening to expose my friend and crash her ministry, which was the complete opposite of my intention in warning her to distance herself from me. There were also other salacious rumors at the time, saying that I was trying to blackmail this same staff member because of her sordid past. I'll leave out those details, but the bottom line to that is that none of that was true. But back to the emails. When those emails came to the surface, Danny texted them to Karen and I, and what did I do? I lied. I remember looking Karen in the eyes and claiming I knew nothing about those emails. I then got in my car and began driving to Best Buy in hopes of having those emails deleted and having my ISP number changed or something. It was just absolute lunacy, desperation at that point. Then Danny called me. He said he knew I sent those emails. I needed to stop lying. Also, he would walk with me if I would just be honest. I finally admitted he was right. He said, you have 30 minutes to tell Karen the truth or else he was going to call and tell her. I turned the car around, and I drove home. I still remember standing at the end of our sidewalk, under our crabapple tree, my wife seven months pregnant, and looking in her eyes to tell her, yes, I sent those emails. I was trying to cover up my actions, and I've screwed up the whole restoration process. She was in absolute shock at my stupidity and selfishness. She said, you have one hour to get your stuff and get out. I remember throwing things into a duffel bag in a total panic. I then went live on Facebook and through buckets of emotion, I apologized and owned that I'd hurt all my friends. I let everyone down and was a failure. I then drove to a cabin at a campground and waited for the next wave of shame to hit me. The day after I moved out, The restoration team sent out a letter to the entire school, both current and former students, 
and the word went out like wildfire. The letter basically stated, I was a toxic leader. I should not be trusted. The school was shutting down immediately, and I would make certain financial amends to my staff, all of which was completely fulfilled by my wife, who helped as the ship was sinking. At first, many people didn't believe the letter was real. It was so shocking and surprising, even other leaders didn't believe it. It didn't sound like something they thought Danny would write. So I posted on my Facebook wall something to the effect of, yes, the letter is real. Yes, I've let you down. Please grieve and deal with your pain so your heart doesn't harden from another leader failing you. I hope I can change and heal my family. Please pray for us. Or something like that. I'm paraphrasing. And then I went silent on social media. When my friend John Matthews saw my video on Facebook, he said to his wife, I'm getting on a plane tomorrow. I'm concerned he might be a danger to himself. And he was absolutely right. The crashing of an entire reputation and the devastation of all your relationships overnight is a brutal and shame-filled experience. Although I had struggled with suicidal ideation for years, it was never closer to happening than in that first week of shock. Somewhere around that time, I actually gave my rifle to my brother and told him I simply didn't feel safe having it near me. So John Matthews came, and he sat with me on suicide watch. He took me to movies, he bought me pizza, and I cried, and cried, and cried. On a, on a side note, I always loved how in the Bible, when Job's world collapsed, his friends came and sat with him, without saying a word for seven days. John showed up like that kind of friend. He returned home and he proceeded to call and check on me every day for about six months. To this day, John Matthews is one of the most incredible men I've had the privilege of knowing. After John left town, I got to work on myself. I started devouring YouTube videos about narcissism as well as reading the books and blogs about the topic Thankfully, I found Dr. David Hawkins on YouTube, and he gives a lot of hope for narcissists. A couple weeks after everything exploded, I actually flew out to doc, uh, Dr. Hawkins' therapy center in Seattle and did a three-day intensive session. Around that same time, a Facebook friend that leads an inner healing ministry reached out to me and offered to help. I took him up on the offer and actually began doing Zoom calls with him daily for the next three months. I also attended a sexaholics 12-step group for the next six months, which was really great for being honest and confronting shame. And lastly, Karen and I were meeting with Danny Silk over Zoom for two hours every week for the next several months. Danny summarized that season in his advice to me, Jonathan, your full-time job right now is to get emotionally healthy and restore your relationships and I did my best to follow that guidance. During the separation, Karen was due to deliver our third daughter at the end of October. She wasn't even sure if she could have me at the birth. The level of disconnect, struggle, and stress that I brought into the environment had her nervous that I would screw up the atmosphere of the birth. She was also nervous about if she let her boundaries down and allowed me to be at the birth, would she be able to put the walls back up and continue to press me toward healing and working on myself. In the end, I was welcome to be at the birth, 
it was peaceful and perfect, and Karen was able to continue the separation for another two months. We reunited around Christmas of 2018, and although I thought I had changed, I had barely scratched the surface, and rough waters were still ahead. That's it for episode one. I hope you've enjoyed hearing the beginning of this journey, and I hope that you'll share this with someone that's in need of hope for their marriage or has been hurt by church leaders like me. Truth be told, I'm not the man I once was. Bought our souls.